Well, hello, folks. Good morning. Welcome to the fellowship. It's good to be here with you this morning. Um, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Jonah. Uh, all week long, I prepared a sermon for Nahum. And uh, I was the more I got into Nahum, I was like, I think I need to preach Jonah first. Um, and I wasn't going to um, because the familiarity, I think, most of us have with Jonah, um, but it's just too good not to do it, so we're doing it. Um, Nahum is a sequel to Jonah, so to speak. Uh, Jonah begins with well, his message to the Ninevites and their repentance and everything else, and then Nahum sort of tells the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would put it. Um, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Jonah is uh, written about a hundred years before Nahum, uh, around 760 B.C.-ish, around in there. Uh, it was written during the time that uh, Jeroboam II was the king of Israel. And he was a pretty, uh, I don't know if he was a legit king, but he was a pretty uh, decent king. So during the uh, divided kingdom, Israel up north, Judah down south, uh, Ten of the twelve tribes consisted of Judah, two of the tribe or Israel, two of the tribes made up Judah. And in Israel, Jeroboam II was king. He helped to expand their territory north, back to where uh, it was during the time of Solomon. And so because of that, um, it led to some peace for the nation of Israel. And because of that, it led to some financial prosperity because they had you know, more trade, more con- commercial industry. And because of that, the Israelites thought, wow, we were experiencing God's blessing on us during this time. Uh, but they weren't really because their worship had become very complacent, very ritualistic, and they weren't, um, they weren't really worshiping God how God wanted them to worship. And um, in fact, they even started incorporating idol worship in their worship. And so they were combining secularism with their worship of the one true God. And so that brings us to Jonah. And uh, Jonah, we don't know a lot about Jonah. Jonah 1.1 says, The Lord's message came to Jonah, son of Amittai. We don't know anything about his dad. Uh, what we... Really, the only thing we really know about Jonah is from 2 Kings 14.25, and that says this. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo, Hamath, in the north to the sea of the Arabah in the south. In accordance with the word of the Lord, God of Israel announced through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. So Gath-Hefer is close to Nazareth in Galilee. And so fast forward... So the New Testament, you have the Pharisees saying, no prophet has ever come from Galilee when they're talking about Jesus. Like, how can a or you know, how can a prophet come from Nazareth? No prophets ever come from Galilee. Um, they were wrong. Um, the reason they were wrong is because they didn't remember Jonah. And maybe they didn't remember Jonah because Jonah wasn't bringing a message to Israel. When we, when we looked at Joel and when we looked at Obadiah, their message was to God's people. They weren't prophesying, warning other people about God's impending judgment. Their message was God's going to judge those people, not his people. God wasn't judging his people through those other prophets. But with Jonah, he is is 
well, he's judging. There's a lot of judgment going on with with Jonah. Um, so, we'll, and we'll get into that as we get into it. But basically, uh, with the four chapters, you can divide Jonah up into four points. And these, um, these, I wish they were original with me. I could have put different things in here, but um, I heard these are a different source for me. Uh, another pastor came up with these, uh, but but they're all alliterative, so. I liked it. Uh, first chapter is run. Jonah's running from God. Second chapter is Jonah's rescued by God. Third chapter, Jonah's recommissioned by God. And in the fourth chapter, Jonah is resentful toward God. And so that's going to kind of be our uh, focus or our, I guess, outline as we're looking at this. So uh, let's pray and we'll get into the scripture and see, um, see more about this. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for our group of people here to look at your word this morning. Please open it up to us now. Even though this may be a familiar passage, Lord, I pray that you will uh, teach us something new, teach us something uh, maybe we we didn't see before in this text, um, or maybe just hammer home something that we we knew before, um, but hammer it home to us in a way that helps us to live differently for you and to think about you um, as you are. Help us get a great glimpse and picture of who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So Jonah 1, 1. The Lord's message came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go immediately to Nineveh, that large capital city, and announce judgment against its people because their wickedness has come to my attention. So uh, Jonah's message is not to, like we said, not to the people of Israel. It is to the people of Nineveh. And so the way God is judging God's people, the Israelites, is by sending Jonah to preach a message to God's people's enemies, to their enemies. So he's saying, you guys are complacent in your worship and everything, and I'm going to handle that by preaching to your enemies, by offering salvation to your enemies. And so that's what he that's what he does here. So it says, go immediately to Nineveh, a large capital city. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Um, and we'll get into that more with uh, Nahum too. But so Nineveh is this large capital city, capital of Assyria. And he says, "Announce judgment against this people because their wickedness has come to my attention." So Assyria was very, very wicked. They're very, uh, yeah, very wicked people. Their uh, cruelty and their uh, you know, hatred of other human beings was just, they were infamous for how cruel they were to other people. Um, I don't want to, I want to give away stuff we're going to talk about next week, but just know the Syrians are very cruel people. And so their judge, their cruelty, their wickedness has come to the Lord's attention. So he tells Jonah to go to them. He says, go to them and, um, you know, announce, announce the, um, announced the judgment against his people. And then verse 3, Instead, Jonah immediately headed off to Tarshish to escape from the commission of the Lord. He traveled to Joppa and found a merchant ship heading to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went aboard it to go with them to, the, to Tarshish, far away from the Lord. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind on the sea. Such a violent tempest arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break us. The sailors were so afraid that each cried out to his own God 
and they flung the cargo's the ship's cargo overboard to make the ship lighter. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down in the hold below deck and lain down and was sound asleep. So um, when we were going through Philippians, specifically the text that Aaron read earlier, um, we 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 talked about Jonah. This my translation doesn't do the the actual Hebrew text justice, but other versions do. Perhaps the version you're looking at right now does. Um, but in the original Hebrew, it talks about Jonah going down, down, down. So Jonah, he he does. The Lord tells him to go up. He says, "Arise and go up to Nineveh, that great city, and you know, announce the judgment against his people." Instead, Jonah, he does get up, but he doesn't go up to Nineveh. He gets up and he goes down to Joppa to get in a boat to go down to Tarshish. And when he's on the boat, he goes down into the bottom of the boat. And he's laying down, he's going to sleep, and then eventually we know he gets thrown overboard. He goes down into the sea, down into the belly of a fish. So there's this down, down, down. And we looked at a graphic, we'll show it now. Um, there's a lot of similarities between Jonah and the New Testament, um, specifically Jesus, but I don't know if you remember this graphic. Um, Jesus came down to earth in his humiliation and um, eventually his crucifixion, and then he had exaltation and was ascended back up to earth. So he was put back in the spot that he, he deserved before he descended down to creation. And that was the, the text that Aaron read earlier in Philippians 2. So, so this is what Jonah, he does this down, down, down. The sailors were afraid. They're throwing cargo over the ship. They're praying to their own gods. And, um, and Jonah was just asleep down deck. That, that reminds me of another story when there's a storm on a sea and somebody else is in the bottom of the boat taking a nap too. Um, more similarities there to the New Testament with Jesus on the boat. I think Jesus was justified in, in him being... I think when Jesus was asleep on the boat, it wasn't because he was unaware or anything else or because he was running from God. I think he was fully aware that God was in control of all of creation and it wasn't a big deal. So he wasn't scared like the other disciples on the boat. Jonah, however, is running from the Lord. He's like, I don't know if you've ever been uh, like just overwhelmed with stuff and you have so much going on and the only thing you want to do is go take a nap. You don't want to, you just want to put it off for another day. I think that's kind of Jonah's thing here. He's like, I'm running from everything. I got, I, I'm running from God. I'm trying to flee the presence of God, which obviously is impossible to flee the presence of an om, omnipresent God. But Jonah is just like, let me just go take a nap. There's so much going. Let me just take a nap. So that's what he's doing here. He's running from God, and this is where he's at. Um, so he's blown blow deck in verse six. Blow deck had lain down and was sound asleep. In verse six, the ship's captain approached him and said. What are you doing asleep? Get up, cry out to your God. Perhaps your God can take notice of us so that we might not die. The sailors said to one another, Come on, let's cast lots to find out whose fault it is that this disaster has overtaken us. So they cast lots and Jonah was singled out. So we know, I think there's some verse in Psalms, that, or Proverbs rather, that God is sovereign even over the casting of lots. And so... The lot falls to Jonah, obviously. Um, they're like rolling dice to see who gets lucky number seven. I don't know. But they're throwing dice. They're, they're casting lots to find out who it is that this disaster has overtaken us. 
And it's Jonah's fault. Verse 8, they says, They said to him, Tell us whose fault it is that this disaster has overtaken us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? And who are your people? So they're, I mean, they're giving him the fifth degree. They're interrogating him here, finding out what's going on. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and, and the dry land. So he's running from God, and he worships the God that made the sea and the dry land. Why in the world would he get on a boat to run from the presence of God? Verse 10 says, Hearing this, the men became even more afraid and said to them, What have you done? The men said this because they knew that he was trying to escape from the Lord because he had previously told them. So he told them he was trying to escape from the Lord. And they're like, what have you done getting on this boat when you worship the God that created the earth and the dry land, the sea and the dry land? And so, verse 11 says, Because the storm was was growing worse and worse, they said to him, "What What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that the sea will calm down for you, because I know it's my fault that you are in the severe storm. So Jonah is, uh, this might be the most selfish thing he's done because he knows if they throw him overboard instead of the ship's cargo, if they throw him overboard, the the storm's going to subside and they're going to have smooth sailing. Um, but instead of, you know, he could have easily jumped off the boat, but he's even more selfish here. He's putting his blood on their hands, on these sailors' hands. And... Um, and I mean, it's it's really incredible the compassion that the Lord has on these sailors because they're, I mean, they're trying everything before they even get to Jonah. They're throwing the cargo over the ship and everything, and they're casting lots to find out whose fault it is. They're confronting him. They're not like, you know, my thinking is a lot. You know, if I'm in this situation, the lot falls to somebody, and it's like, hey, you're the one. Let's. Let's get rid of this guy, you know, let's throw him overboard. You know, I'm not asking questions once the lot falls to somebody, but these sailors are. And then, uh, you know, so Jonah tells them, throw me overboard because I know it's my fault. Verse 13, instead they tried to row back to land, but they were not able to do so because the storm kept growing worse and worse. So they cried out to the Lord, oh, please, Lord, don't let us die on account of this man. Don't hold us guilty of shedding innocent blood. After all, you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. And that's they're crying out to God, to Yahweh. You, Lord, have done just as you pleased. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. The men feared the Lord greatly and earnestly vowed to offer lavish sacrifices to the Lord. So we see, again, God's compassion on these sailors. They, they, start, they become worshipers. They start worshiping God because of this situation, um, because the the storm on the sea subsided, which I think is sort of an incidental good act on Jonah's behalf. I don't think he he meant for this to happen, but this is what happened. So that's Jonah running from the Lord. Then let's see what happens next. Verse 17, then on into chapter 2. It says, The Lord sent a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Sound familiar to any other New Testament event as well? I think so. So then chapter 2 says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish and said, I called out to the Lord from my distress and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol I cried out for help and you heard my prayer. You threw me into the deep waters, into the middle of the sea. The ocean current engulfed me. 
All the mighty waves you sent swept over me. I thought I had been banished from your sight and that I would never again see your holy temple. Water engulfed me up to my neck. The deep ocean surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I went down to the very bottoms of the mountains. The gates of the netherworld barred me in forever. But you brought me up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I called out to the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who worship worthless idols forfeit the mercy that could be theirs. But as for me, I promise to offer a sacrifice to you with a public declaration of praise. I will surely do what I promised. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the verse 10 ends with, The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on out onto the dry land. So, uh, Jonah has this prayer. You can analyze that prayer, what you want of it. Is it a truly repentant prayer? Is he really sorrowful over his sin, his disobedience? Um, not really. It's kind of a half-hearted prayer when you really look at it. You know, He's calling out from his distress, um, and he's just basically giving facts of what God did for him. Um, he, he's talking about how my prayer reached you, and then um, he's promising to offer a sacrifice and a public declara- declaration of praise. So he's kind of bargaining with God, and um, this is an unusual. This is unusual for, for you know. I know there's different times in my life where I, where I've done this. I'm sure we all have at some point, um, especially when we're like younger, um, either younger in age or in our faith. I think this is this is the thing we do a lot. Um, something comes up, and we want to bargain with God to say, you know, if I promise, you know, if you get me out of this situation, I'm gonna make it to church every Sunday, you know, or I'm going to do this for you or whatever it is. And that's kind of, that kind of seems to be the the heart behind Jonah's prayer here is he's, he's kind of bargaining with God. Um, he's not really repentant. He's not really showing a heart of repentance or anything. Um, but the Lord still has compassion on him. Uh, he is, Jonah is turning to God in this, in this time of distress. Um, He's, he's, he's spared his life already by sending the fish. And then he's turning to God. And God is causes the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land. So, um, we get Jonah, is, he ran, he was rescued. Now let's look at verse or chapter 3 where he is recommissioned. It says, The Lord's message came to Jonah a second time. Go immediately to Nineveh, that large city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah went immediately to Nineveh in keeping with the Lord's message. Now Nineveh was an enormous city. It required three days to walk through it. Big city, big town. So Jonah began to enter the city by going one day's walk, announcing, at the end of 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his sermon. That's it. In in Hebrew, I believe it's like, Really just five words. But this is what he says. At the end of 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the whole sermon. It's crazy. And um, we'll look at what happens later on. So a few things before we look at that. One, one I don't know if it's a fun fact. Um, one thing about Jonah's situation with the fish. Other people have been swallowed by whales and other fish before too. There's a guy um, not too long ago. I think off of Cape Cod that got swallowed. He was out uh, 
hunting for lobsters, where you can, you can like search it on YouTube, uh, modern day Jonah, and you'll see this, uh, you know, several stories of this guy. Um, and so he was swallowed by a well, like fully inside the well, and he started fighting and stuff. He was a lobster diver, or whatever. So he's getting lobsters, and uh, and then the fish spit him out. He landed in the water, whatever, survived. Um, I've heard other stories of people that had gotten like. Um, I don't know what you call them, whalers or whatever, had caught caught cotton, had caught a well and had it, and they when they went to cut it open, a body fell out, and that body was like bleached white from the stomach acids and stuff in the well. So I'm th- and the guy off of Cape Cod, I think he was in there all of a few seconds. You know, it wasn't even like he was in there a minute or so, and he was probably just in the mouth of this well. With Jonah being in the belly of the fish. Three days and three nights, um, and then getting spit onto dry land. I can only imagine, you know, his clothes are tattered. Maybe he's bleached white and pale or whatever, and he's walking through Nineveh. He's, I mean, he's got to draw attention, is what I'm thinking. I don't, I don't know. That's that's how I like to picture it, anyways. That Jonah is walking through this city, and I mean, what are these people going to um, think of just some random Hebrew walking through their city preaching to them? Um, this is a very powerful city, and he's not even preaching that powerful of a sermon, really. He's, I, I wouldn't consider Jonah to be Billy Graham by this. At the end of 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. You know, that's not that big of a message there. But that's what he's, that's what he's doing. And so, um, one other thing is the name Jonah means dove. Now, in our New Testament understanding of the, the term dove, you know, we have a, you know, it's, it's a symbol for the Holy Spirit, and it means peace to us and stuff like that. Back in this time, dove was like a joke. So this guy whose name means you're, you're a joke is walking through your city. So all the odds are against him in this regard. He's not a Ninevite. He's not a Syrian. He's not from there. And he's not preaching a very powerful message. And he's walking through this huge city that's just, I mean, it's not even the country. It's the capital city. And he's walking through, and then this is what happens in verse 5. It says, The people of Nineveh believed in God, and they declared a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne. Okay, here it comes. Is, is the king of Nineveh going to like say, no, people, y'all don't put on sackcloth. We're not doing this. We are Nineveh. No, he doesn't say that. He says, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat on ashes. So he is repenting, and he is sitting in that. This is a very repentant thing that people did, putting on the sackcloth. It's like burlap or uh, potato sacks or, I guess, uh, Maybe in, it's the de- decoration on the walls of Starbucks or coffee shops or whatever nowadays. We see the coffee bags. But not, not clothes. It's not like soft cotton. You know, this is not a American apparel shirt or whatever. That soft kind of shirts we like to wear. Sackcloth. It's a, it's a sign of uh, repentance and uh, mourning. So he's, he's putting on sackcloth and ashes. Says he issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, no human or animal, cattle or sheep, is to taste anything. They must not eat, and they must not drink water. Every person and animal is put on sackcloth 
and must cry earnestly to God, and everyone must turn from their evil way of living and from the violence that they do. Who knows? Perhaps God might be willing to change his mind and relent and turn from his fierce anger so we might not die. So, a couple things about this king's response of why he why he did this. First of all, I think it's interesting he includes the animals in this. Um, it's like he it's like deep down he knows whoever this God that Jonah's preaching about is going to overcome them. He knows that this God that Jonah's preaching about is sovereign over everything, not just humans, but all of creation. And so he's he's trying to give the earnest due to them, to that God, to the Lord. And he 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 sends out this decree for everyone, even the animals, to fast and to repent and mourn, putting on the sackcloth and everything. Um, and to, he says, the end of verse eight, and everyone must turn from the evil way of living and from the violence that they do. And he says it based on verse nine of like, who knows? Perhaps God might be willing to change his mind. Maybe he's going to relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not die. So we might not die. So he's just doing this in hopes that God is going to see their um, change of heart and and repent, you know, not not cause their destruction. Basically, that Jonah's message is not. He's he's hoping that this will lead to the message that Jonah preached not coming true at the end of 40 days, and then it will be overthrown. He's like, well, let's do something. Let's act now so that maybe we might not die. And then verse 10 says, when God saw their actions, that they turned from their evil way of living, God relented concerning the judgment he had threatened them with and did not destroy them. So God relents um, and does not destroy them because of their repentance. And they repented because of the message of Jonah that Jonah preached because God told him to go. So that's where we are. So Jonah is recommissioned by the Lord. He goes, he preaches this message to the Ninevites. Very weak message, I would say. Um, But it's effective. Even though the words aren't vast and strong and great or anything else, it's an effective message. So it works. The people relent. Or the people repent and God relents. And then chapter 4, we see how um, Jonah is, um, what is the term I used? Resentful. So yeah, we see Jonah's resentfulness to God. So God is God shows kindness, not just to the, the people on the ship, the sailors, but also to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah hated Nineveh, obviously. He didn't want to go there. He's willing to try to run from the presence of the Lord and go through all this. And even when he does finally say, all right, I'll go, let's do this, and he does go, he's he's quote-unquote obedient, his message is still not even that much of a message. You know, He's not really giving them this, this big message because he didn't really care for them. He didn't have compassion. He cared about the Lord, and he didn't want the Lord's judgment coming on him. Um, and then we see what happens, chapter 4 here, we see what happens when the people do repent. This is Jonah, my, the title of my heading there says, Jonah responds to God's kindness. So God's kindness toward the Ninevites. 
It says, verse four, chapter or chapter four, verse one. This displeased Jonah terribly, and he became very angry. There's never been a preacher in the history that preached, and whenever his the people obeyed the message or listened to the message and, and responded positively, that they had this response, that they were angry over the people turning. But he is it displeased Jonah terribly. He became very angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, this is just what I thought would happen when I was in my own country. This is what I tried to prevent by attempting to escape to Tarshish because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and one who relents concerning threatened judgment. So he knew God's character. He knew God's nature. And he knew if I went to, Tarshish, if I went to Nineveh, this is what was going to happen. And so, <clears throat> verse 3, So now, Lord, kill me instead, because I would rather die than live. He would rather die than knowing... He would, Jonah would rather die than live in a world where God is on Nineveh's side. And this is just a complete hatred for his enemies. Um, I think, uh, you know... The overall message of Jonah is God is God's message of salvation isn't just for us; it's for it's for everyone. You know, God wants His message to be for everyone, and that's what we see here. Now, granted, there's some other underlying things going on throughout Scripture where this falls in Scripture, with um, like we said at the top of the sermon, with um, you know, God is judging the people of Israel by sending Jonah to the people of Nineveh. And then they're showing, instead of sending Jonah to the people of Israel to say, hey, you need to stop this idol worship, you need to have good, solid worship going on in your, in, you know, among God's people, um, he doesn't do that. He sends them to, to the people's enemies. Now, all that's going on for sure, but the overall lasting message that we get is God's word, God's message, his Salvation is not just for us, it's for them as well. And so, um, Jonah would rather die than live, uh, especially live in a world where God is on Nineveh's side. So verse 4 says, Lord said, are you really so very angry? It's like, come on, man, I've, I've provided everything. I've done everything for you here. I saved you from dying in the sea. Um, he's like, how can you still have so much hatred to these people? So, uh, verse 5, Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made a shelter for himself there and sat down under it in the shade to see what happened, see what would happen to the city. The Lord appointed a little plant and caused it to grow up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to rescue him from his misery. Now Jonah was very delight, delighted about the little plant. So the first time Jonah's happy is because this little plant that God caused to grow up over him. There's a lot of not just with the king of Nineveh telling all the people, including the animals, to repent and put on sackcloth and everything else and not to eat, to fast and all that. Um, there's a lot of nature involved in the story of Jonah. The, God caused the well to come and swallow up Jonah. Here God is causing this little tree to grow up. And I think because of this, uh, a lot of people like to read Jonah allegorically. Like it's just a parable or a story. It's not historical fact. Um, but personally, I don't think that's a, 
I don't think that's a good way. I think this is this should be taken historically. Like this, this happened. Um, if we believe, you know, because of all the miraculous things that happen in it, that's why people take it that way. But if we believe God is sovereign over everything, it should be very easy for us to believe that God could cause a great fish to swallow up Jonah and spitting back out and cause this tree to grow and everything else. Um, also, um, and we'll look at this next week too, but Jesus believed Jonah to be a historical thing. When Jesus referenced Jonah, he, he believed it was it had happened. He believed it was a historical thing. So I think that's, that's another evidence for us to look at it that way. So um, Jonah's hanging out outside of the city. He's trying to see what's going to happen in the city, um, if God's really going to accept their repentance or whatnot. And the only thing he's happy about this whole time is the end of verse 6 there. Now Jonah was very delighted about this little plant that God had caused to grow. So then verse 7, God sent a worm at dawn the next day and it attacked the little plant so that it dried up. When the sun began to shine, God sent a hot east wind. So the sun beat down on Jonah's head and he grew faint. So he despaired his life and said, I would rather die than live. So again, Jonah's trying to die. Verse 9, God said to Jonah, Are you really so very angry about the little plant? And he said, I am as angry as I could possibly be. <laughs> At least he's honest with God, right? At least he's he's honest with God. He's not um, making something up or trying to, um, you know, cover his sin with fig leaves or, any, you know, proverbial fig leaves or anything else. He's like, I'm as angry as it can be. He's, he's upset. Verse 10, the Lord said, you're upset about this little plant, something for which you did not work, nor did you do anything to make it grow. It grew up overnight and died the next day. Should, not, should I not be more concerned about Nineveh, this enormous city? There are more than 120,000 people in it who do not know right from wrong, as well as many animals. So, there's no resolve, right? The book of Jonah ends in a question. He's like, you're upset about this little tree and you didn't do anything to make it grow. You didn't water it. You didn't cultivate it. You didn't plant the seed or anything. It grew up overnight and died the next day. Um, and you're more upset about this little tree. He's, a, he's as angry as he could possibly be. You're more upset about this little tree than you are about this. Than you have. Than you are concerned about Nineveh. There's 120 people, more than 120,000 people in this city. They don't know right from wrong, as well as many animals. Shouldn't you be concerned? I mean, of other human beings and you know, it's like, and, and that's where it ends. God asking him a question. There's one other book in the Bible that ends in a question, and we're, incidentally, we're going to talk about it next week. It's, it's Nahum. And so, look at that. Um, but I think it's very interesting that this is, this is just how the book ends. It just ends with, you know, it's, there's no nice bow tie on there. Bow tie? There's not a nice bow tied up around this story or anything it just ends with what happened to Jonah we don't know we can infer because this book is called Jonah even though it's written third person a lot of the ways um, I still think Jonah wrote it so I think at some point Jonah did have some kind of an experience with the Lord where he he came back to some kind of a um, tender-hearted person um, because if he's writing this book this doesn't paint him in a very good light and so I think a more redeemed Jonah, a more sanctified Jonah, would have to look at his how he behaved throughout this whole four chapters and say, I think it's okay for me to put this out there, this honest depiction of, of what happened. 
I think it's okay for me to put this out there because other people can can read this story and you know help it'll help them in their sanctification as well. So that's why I mean we we can easily infer that from this. But it doesn't there's not a big nice wrapped up bow on this story. And so um you know that's that's what we have. We have Jonah um running from God um and eventually his heart never changes toward the people of Nineveh, um, at least here in this text. Um, there are there are a lot of not just similarities to to Jesus and you know what happened in the New Testament with Jesus, but also there's similarities to uh, Peter, right? Peter, also known as Simon Bar Jonah, right? And so. Jonah was in the fish three days, three nights. Uh, a lot of threes with Peter, denying Jesus three times and all these different things. And then also, um, Peter wanted the message of God just to be for the Jews. He only wanted the Jews to receive God's message. And then um, you know, Jonah had to go through this whole ordeal. Peter had a vision on the rooftop where God wanted him to go to Cornelius' house and God, Peter had that vision of the unclean animals going across. Is like a, I mean, the picture I get is like a movie screen. It's like a sheet bound at the four corners. And these animals are going across it. And three times the Lord tells Jonah, or sorry, Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, I've never eaten anything unclean. And he's like, no, man, what, why are you calling things that I have made clean unclean? You know, rise, Peter, kill and eat. does this three times finally. Um, Peter ends up going to Cornelius' house, somebody that's not a Jew, and he preaches the message to, to Cornelius, and Cornelius' whole household gets saved. And from then on, for the most part, Peter is a champion for those outside of the Jewish faith. Um, we know from some of Paul's writings that he had a little uh, incident with people eating uh, foods that were, I think, sacrificed to idols or something like that. They had, they had some disagreements, and Peter or Paul called him out on it, but then they got over it. But um, I think there's there's similarities that can be made there too between Jonah and Peter. Whereas this story doesn't end with Jonah knowing that God's salvation is for everyone. Peter eventually gets there, and so that's Jonah. Next week we'll look at Nahum. So, yeah. Uh, all right, let's pray, and uh, we'll sing another song. Lord, I thank you for this word. Lord, I pray that you will um, continue to to touch our hearts. Um, I know there's times in my life where, you know, I don't think that certain people might deserve your um, your kindness, your compassion. Um, I don't. I don't think that people should. Um, should receive that sometimes, Lord. And I can't can't imagine that um, some people's repentance can be accepting to you. Um, but we do know that you are a compassionate God. You are slow to anger and great in mercy. We take comfort in that, Lord. I pray that you will um, continue to soften our hearts toward others. And when we think of others, we will see see them not by their actions, but by the image of God that is in them. 
and that we will have love and compassion toward them, and that we will treat them with love and compassion. We love you, Lord. Continue to work in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.